And uh, go ahead and have a seat. And I'm so excited to worship with you on September 10th, 2023. This is what has historically been known as our ministry year kickoff. So uh, lots of new things happening. And I told you last week, a great phrase for us to hang our hat on all year long is always only Jesus. And you saw that on the back of the culture guide. Uh, maybe that's a theme for the year, if you will, but it's more a, a helpful phrase, I think, that we can remind one another of as we step into this year and as we seek to honor Christ in all that we say, all that we do, as we give ourselves to the mission of loving God, loving people, and making disciples. But today we are beginning a new calendar year as a church. Uh, we're beginning a new fiscal year as a church. We are beginning new initiatives and opportunities for growth as disciples here at this church. You have begun new school years, and you're probably getting back into the rhythms that you set aside for summer. And there are a lot of new beginnings represented at church today. But perhaps the most exciting beginning we will recognize today is the OG of all beginnings. And that is the beginning of the beginning, the beginning of the ends of the earth, the beginning of the world, the beginning of the universe, the beginning of humanity, and the beginning of the Bible. And so I would invite you to open your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 1. Really excited to ask you to turn there. If you don't know how to get there, go to the table of contents in your Bible and turn right, and you will be there in just a second. But I am excited to begin this study of what are some of the most foundational chapters in the Christian faith. And so here's what's going to happen from now until about Christmas, we will study Genesis 1 through 11 together. And so chapters 1 through 3 house so much doctrine that is essential to our faith as believers. We'll take our time through 1 through 3 and then we'll kind of move a little more swiftly in verse in chapters 4 through 11, but as we begin, let me just simply give you some facts and background about this book before we even get to uh, chapter 1, verse 1. The book of Genesis means beginning. And authorship is attributed to Moses, and it was written at some point after Israel's release from Egypt. Now, Moses was a very important figure in Israel's history. He was a type of finite savior to the people of Israel. I say type of finite savior. He was not infinite. He was not all powerful. He was merely a man and he, and he wasn't the savior, but he did save God's people from captivity as he was used by God to bring them out of the land of Egypt. And God worked wonders through Moses with the 10 plagues and the parting of the sea. And God inspired Moses to write. And not only did he write history of Israel's existence and preservation, but Moses recorded the law and the existence of all the world as we know it in what the Hebrew people called the Pentateuch. So the Pentateuch in your Bible is the first five books in your Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. How many of you have tried to start a Bible reading plan and you never made it past the Pentateuch? Anybody? Some of y'all are in there. I, I've had that trouble because sometimes when you get into 
the Pentateuch, you start to wonder, what does all this mean? And is this really important? And there's a lot of ceremonial laws in there. Let me, let me tell you real quickly before we dive in, why is the Pentateuch important? Here's five quick things. Number one, it's the entry point to the Bible's grand story. The first five books of the Bible are the entry point. It's the doorway into the rest of Scripture. And the Bible is not just individual verses that you pull out that meant something to you along the way in your life. Uh, the Bible is one grand story that God is telling. And at the center of it is a relationship with the God of glory. The Pentateuch is the entryway. Number two, it paints God's theater of redemption. Paints God's theater of redemption. We're going to see as we start to study creation that it's merely an image of the redemption that God wants to bring to the world. We're gonna see all through Genesis 1 through 11, God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not give people what they should have, but he extends to them his mercy. Number three, the Pentateuch taught Israel how to live as God's people. It teaches us how we should live as God's people. And we've looked at the commandments even the last several weeks as we were talking about our mission statement. And Jesus, of course, fulfilled the law, but as he regenerates us, he writes God's law on our hearts so that we could then live in accordance to what he requires as a holy God. Number four, the first five books of the Bible are, are the key lens for understanding the whole Old Testament. So your Old Testament is broken up in, in the law or the Pentateuch, the Torah, they would call it. And then you have the history books and you have the poetic books and you have the major prophets and the minor prophets. And as you start reading some of those different sections, all of the, if you understand the first five books of the Bible, it will help you with the entire Old Testament. Everything that every prophet ever said is stemming from a deep knowledge rooted in the Pentateuch that God gave to his people. And number five, most importantly, the Pentateuch, the first pages of the Bible, the first books of the Bible point us to Jesus and his gospel. The whole Bible is pointing to Jesus and the good news that has saved you this morning. And, and I've talked to people who are young in their faith. Maybe you have said this at some point. Does the Old Testament really matter? Like, aren't we New Testament people now? Aren't we on the right side of the covenant that Jesus came and fulfilled? And so in Jesus, we just have to worry about the New Testament. And the resounding answer is no. The whole Bible matters. The, the Old Testament is the foundation that confirms and affirms everything that has been said to us in the New Testament. Now, Genesis is the first book in the Pentateuch. Moses was, of course, not present for what he writes about concerning the beginning of the world. But remember, Moses was ultimately writing what God spoke through him that he desired his people to know for the rest of time. And it starts with understanding that God wrote this book. God breathed out this book. The Bible is God's inspired word breathed out for our good and every word that has been preserved is specifically and precisely given so that you and I could know and believe all that we need to know for salvation in Christ alone and so that we would trust and obey Yahweh who is the one true God. Now just for reference, the book of Genesis is 
is one of the most quoted Old Testament books in the, in the New Testament. Uh, Psalms and Isaiah are, are probably the most quoted Old Testament books in the New Testament. But from the Pentateuch, Genesis and Exodus are neck and neck, often referred to by Jesus. 60 references in the New Testament back to Genesis 1 through 11. And you've heard me say this before, but the most major doctrines in the Bible can be traced back to the first few chapters in, the, in Genesis. To, to be correct on the first few pages of the Bible is to build on solid rock. To begin to trust God at his divinely inspired self-revelation at the beginning of the Bible is to trust him at his word throughout the rest of the Bible. To put your faith in the spirit-given literal details that God chose to specifically impart for our wisdom and insight into some of life's most massive questions is to see that he is the sovereign author of all things pertaining to life and death and eternity. And Genesis answers a lot of questions for us. I think every person in human history has a lot of the questions that Genesis answers. Some of those questions are, who am I? Or how did I get here? Genesis answers, who is God? Where did the world come from? How am I supposed to live? What's wrong with the world? What's wrong with me? What is evil? What is good? What is marriage? What is the role of a husband? What is the role of a wife? What is a family? Who is the devil? What is the most dangerous lie? What is sin? What is the consequence of sin? Is there any hope from the consequence of sin? What is death? What lies on the other side of death? Did Adam have a belly button? Any, any person in their right mind would want to know the answers to these questions. Any person. We're not in our right minds, by the way. We're, we're stuck often in the futility of our mind, Romans chapter 1 tells us. And so we can't grasp, we miss often the answers to life's toughest questions that God gave us on the first pages of his breathed out Word. They're all right here in the first pages of the Bible. So without any further ado, let's get our eyes on the text this morning. Genesis chapter 1. And today we're going to go through two verses. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Now hear the word of the Lord. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Let's pray one more time. Father, <clears throat> we just come, and, and just as your Spirit was there in the beginning hovering, we ask that your Spirit would hover over us right now. And that your spirit would illuminate in our hearts a deep desire to know this God, the God of the Bible. 
Cause us to ponder your wonder, to ponder your greatness, to ponder your majesty and your power and your strength today. And meet us here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, the Bible starts in the most epic way possible, more significant than any other literary masterpiece. There are no surprises, no anticipation building gimmicks surrounding the main character. In just the first four words, we are introduced to the God of glory whom the entire universe, past, present, and future, rests upon and centers around. This is God's book. This is God's world. This is God's story. And God is at the center of everything we're about to study, including he was in the beginning. Now, point number one this morning that I'll give to you is this. The almighty God has always existed. The almighty God has always existed. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, in the beginning, those three words takes us back to the literal beginning of the world before anything that is made was made. Nothing existed in the beginning. Not a person, not a star, not a planet, not a light, not a sun, not a moon, not a day, not a plant, not a slug, not a tadpole, not an atom, not a particle of dust, not a scientific law, not gravity, not an energy, not even a primordial glob of goo that would one day transform into something significant. In the beginning is meant to take us back to the literal first event in the history of the world, which means that the world has a history. And the world has a beginning, which is contrary to other religions that that would say and claim that our world or our universe is circular. It's just always been and it is all these different dimensions. No, the Bible proclaims that in the beginning, something was nothing. (laughs) Nothing existed in the beginning. The first three words of the Bible help us navigate back to the origin of all things, where I came from, where you came from, where everything came from. And many spend their lives searching for the origins and answers for existence and life. And the Bible takes us directly to the source in its first sentence in the beginning. Now, I've stressed that there was nothing in the beginning. There was something. And, and, and this has obviously been a source of controversy for a lot of people throughout history. And many have spent their lives trying to figure out where did everything come from and when was the beginning of the world and, 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 and how could we have gotten to where we've gotten. And many philosophers, many scientists, many historians have studied long and hard and come up with hypothesis after hypothesis The Greek philosopher Parmenides stated this, and many have come to the same conclusion. If there was ever a time when nothing existed, nothing could have come from it because we know nothing comes from nothing. So at one point, there had to be something. What was that something? I I read uh, an article, or I was was reading about, um, I think it was 1903, Herbert Spencer was a scientist. And at one point, he came up with five things, everything knowable can be summed up in five words, this scientist said. And it was, let me get it right because I wasn't going to say this. Uh, It was 
It was time, force, action, space, and matter. Time, force, action, space, and matter. Sums up everything that is knowable, the scientist said. And, and this is what happens often is we, we, we see science and we, we start to try to uh, make sense of it. And the world celebrates, wow, that's amazing. And we give Nobel Prizes. But Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, time, God, force, created, action, the heavens, space, and the earth, matter. <laughs> Summed up in chapter 1, verse 1. And, and I don't believe that science and creation, science and God's word have to fight each other. I think they work very well together. And the more you go through the Bible, the more you see creation exclaiming God is in charge of it all. And the something that was at the beginning that is being proclaimed is no insignificant thing. The Bible is letting us know about the most significant thing that the world has ever known. And it could have recorded anything. It could have said in the beginning man or in the beginning formation took place or in the beginning bang. <laughs> but unapologetically, and in vertical attribution to the source of life as we know it, the Bible boldly proclaims in the beginning God. Because when there was nothing, God was. And be, because before anything was made, God was. And before creation existed or anything had originated, God was. Therefore, God has always existed. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And as the first sentence of the Bible introduces us to God, God uses a very specific name for himself. We don't see him introduce himself as Jehovah. He doesn't introduce himself as Yahweh, which later in Genesis and most of the time through Genesis, we see him referred to as Yahweh. Yahweh was a personal name for the people of Israel. Yahweh means God the Lord. And, and Yahweh doesn't become Yahweh till he is your Lord. When you receive him, when you accept him and, and, and understand his lordship and his kingship, he is Yahweh. But he introduces himself, God chooses to introduce himself with the first verse of the Bible and the name he chooses is the name Elohim, okay? Elohim. And it's described for you on the screen, but the word El in Hebrew means God or the mighty one. And the, the ending of that name, Ohim, makes it a majestic plural in the Hebrew language. And, and so it's, it's not plural. We know we have one God. There's one true God. But it's trying to say that the mighty one is actually the almighty one, or the powerful one is the all-powerful one. The sovereign one is the all-sovereign God. He is Elohim. And before anything was, the almighty God was. Ponder it with me. He existed in all of his perfection, in all of his might, and in all of his power Elohim, the name, proclaims that there is no power in the universe except that it belonged to God. The power that would bring forth the earth belongs to God. The power that would bring forth life belongs to God. 
The power that can be attributed to the origin of all things is God's. And the power that puts breath in your lungs today is only from God. It's Elohim. And and galaxies will pour forth from Elohim's fingertips. The universe will come out of his very breath. We have to catch our breath when we run up the stairs. With one breath, God would breathe the universe into existence. A mere word from Elohim can sculpt mountainscapes and paint the dawn of the morning. The world wonder, a world wonder is but a speck of dirt to the wonder and the majesty of Elohim. An ocean is but a raindrop in the palm of his hand. And A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And the authoritative word of God leaves the believer no room to assume any force or any power outside of God himself. He is ruling, he is reigning, he is sovereign, and he is in control. So give him your worship today. Behold your God, Elohim, who was in the beginning. (laughs) The Bible, the universe, the prophets, the law, they are all proclaiming what the prophet Isaiah said. Have you not seen and have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God? And, And the reason that we as humans, finite humans, don't want to accept what is on the earliest pages of the Bible is because if God is truly the source of it all, and if God is truly the creator who created out of nothing, we'll talk about it in a minute, then we are morally accountable to God. He owns us. He created us. We are his. We are his being. And so God's existence, God's reality that is seen in creation, that is seen in every breath that we take, we suppress it, in the futility of our minds and we harden our hearts to God and we search the world for the force that created the world so that we don't have to be morally accountable to the God of glory who loves you and wants a relationship with you. God has always existed, so surrender to him today. Point number two from the text, the almighty God created out of nothing The Almighty God created out of nothing. Verse 1 goes on, in the beginning God, and then it says created the heavens and the earth. Now, the Hebrew word for created is is this Hebrew word bahra, and it's it's only used of God. Only God can bahra something. And what it means is it's to create out of nothing. The Latin phrase that's often used is ex nihilo. God created ex nihilo. God created out of nothing. When God created at the historical beginning of the world, he had no pre-existent time, matter, or space to work with. Elohim created out of nothing. He had zero ingredients, and from it, he made everything. Only God can bahra something, okay? There's another word, in the Hebrew called asa, which means to make or to form or to put it together. And we see bahra and asa used simultaneously throughout the creation account. You 
can assaw something. You can put things together. You can uh, uh, paint a masterpiece. We're creative individuals created in the image of God. You can create a painting, but you have ingredients to work with. You got oil-based paint. You got a paintbrush. You have a canvas. You have an idea, and you start to paint. You can bake cookies. Some of you can really well. Some of you probably not so much. Uh, But you have ingredients, don't you? You have a recipe. You have eggs. You have flour. You have chocolate chips. You have uh, uh, an oven. (laughs) You have a brain. You can make chocolate chip cookies, but you can't make chocolate chip cookies out of absolutely nothing. And God can. With zero elements... Scripture proclaims God created because he is the only source. He's the source of all power, all creativity, all matter, time, and space. This is what Psalm 29 says. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. The voice of the Lord strips the forest bare, and in his temple, everything says glory. And guess what? This is his temple. The world is his temple, and the heavens and the earth shout for joy. The sea roars, and all that fills it, the trees of the forest clap their hands, and everything that has been created was created to worship God. Creation exists because God chose to create, and it wasn't a strenuous undertaking for him. He didn't need billions of years. He didn't need science to catch up to his desires and his designs. He didn't need a catastrophic collision in the abyss of the universe. He didn't even need six seconds. But in his love, we'll see in the next weeks, that he, he, he modeled our lifestyle for us, as he created everything that is to be known in six literal 24-hour days, and then he took a big old rest day, not because he had to, but because he is good and because he is God. And if God's voice makes the deer give birth, and if God's presence melts the mountains like wax, and if God can take a dead, rock-hearted sinner like you and make you into a new creation, him speaking the world into existence in six days is an actual piece of cake. And if you can get that from the first pages of the Bible, if you can know the almighty God on the first pages of the Bible, the rest of what he asks you in his word will seem like a piece of cake. Life won't seem like a piece of cake, but you will have a hope in Elohim, a hope in a God who is sovereign over it all. If you can get God's power on the first pages of the Bible, every other thing in the Bible will seem like a piece of cake. God flooding the world and yet preserving a family. A man getting swallowed by a fish and surviving for three days only to be spit up onto land and then to go and witness like God told him to do the first time. 
Jesus coming to earth, God coming and being born of a virgin. Piece of cake if God can create the world in six literal days. Jesus walking on water. Piece of cake if God can create the world in six literal days. Jesus dying on a cross in your place as a substitute for your sins, being buried and rising again on the third day only to ascend to heaven and bring many sons to glory for the rest of eternity. Piece of cake if God is over all that he has made. (laughs) Faith in the revealed word of God is not a cop-out. And often that's what is said of our faith. But the man or woman of true spirit-given faith is further along than the man or woman of science and intellect any day. Hebrews 11.3 testifies, it says, by faith, We understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, not by anything else, not by your human intellect, not by your research, not by your study, not by your understanding, by faith. And Jesus said, if you do not have faith like a child, it'll be impossible to enter the kingdom of heaven. We know that Romans says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The word of God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, and it is by grace that we are saved through faith. And faith starts when we recognize that he is the almighty God and the creator of the ends of the earth. Now, the text in Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's a reference for everything that's in existence. You gotta start to see Genesis 1.1 is the beginning of all things, but it's also a summation statement. It goes really along with Hebrews 11, that by faith we know everything was created out of nothing because God decided to bahra, okay? And so the heavens and the earth is like saying from coast to coast. The heavens means everything above the earth, space, the heavenly realm, the angels, even the throne room of God could be included here. And the earth is a reference for our planet where God was going to focus his attention under the heavens. You got to get this. This is great. Genesis 1.1 is proclaiming time, space, matter, and the world had an absolute historical beginning And it came out of nothing because Elohim chose to create. But then, in an astonishing first act of grace, mercy, and unfathomable love, the Bible zooms in on the focal point of God's story. And everything from this point forward would be a God-focused plan on planet Earth. Our planet, not some other planet, not some distant place in in the stratosphere, planet Earth. Our planet has a very real beginning and it is heading toward a very real and very beautiful eternity for all who know that Elohim is the Lord. Takes us to point number three and it's this, the almighty God set his affections on planet Earth. The almighty God set his affections on your home and my home. From in the beginning, God, the massive, majestic God, he zeroes in on the place where you would be born, the place where you would breathe, the place where you would live, and he sets his affections on planet earth. Verse 2 of the text says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the spirit 
of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 2 of Genesis starts with the focal point of God's divine story, which is the earth. And verse 1, let us know that he created out of nothing. And verse 2 takes us to the main destination of not only his creation, but his divine story. And as the creation account begins with planet earth, it is said to be without form and void. As God began to create, as God began to put matter together so that he could get into his creation, it describes this planet that he would form Lacking contents, lacking created order, earth is introduced to us like a pile of clay, yet to be sculpted, and God is the sculptor. The text says that darkness was over the face of the deep. Without the creator, planet earth doesn't exist, and the earliest description of our planet is describing something that is absolutely uninhabitable, a deep outer darkness, a dark abyss. You certainly couldn't have lived because nothing can survive without some source of light or the energy that comes by light. And if that doesn't make planet earth uninhabitable enough, it appears that on day one of creation, at the beginning, this planet was submerged under water. It's dark, submerged underwater. Not only is darkness over the face of the deep of the planet where God would begin to create, but the text says the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. It doesn't get much more uninhabitable than that right there. No life, no oxygen, no energy, no light, just God beginning to create ex nihilo out of nothing. But the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. This is massive. We're introduced to the third person of the Trinity in just verse two of the Bible. And, and remember, I said there is one God one true God, Elohim, but he exists in three distinct persons. He is Father, he is Son, and he is Holy Spirit. And as the God of glory existed in perfect unity and harmony with himself, just think about that for a moment. Here's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're existing together, co-equals, yet very distinct roles, submitting to one another, they're a perfect model of what we're supposed to do as the bride of Christ who has been saved and redeemed and is being ushered into future glory. They existed in perfect unity and harmony. Why did God want to deal with our mess? Love. God created out of love. And as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit began to create, the Spirit was pulsating with anticipation as he hovered over the waters. The Spirit's hovering describes a teeming of divine design that is about to explode in color from the mouth of the Creator. And all of that is just simply a picture of your life, by the way. Think about it. Apart from Christ, you are lifeless and dead. You are formless and void. Even in the womb, you're submerged Underwater, you're without light. You have no spiritual light. And at salvation, the Spirit of God hovers over your life just as he hovered over the depths of the water. And as Elohim puts his Spirit in you, you become a new creation in Christ. And the old is gone and the new has come. And you begin to live as if God 
is worthy of worship. But in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, not only is the Almighty God beginning the world, and not only is Elohim's spirit hovering in anticipation, but Jesus, that's right, Jesus, the Son of God, is about to create the very place where he would be born, where he would die, where he would rise, and where he would reign again as king forever. History has a beginning and history has a very real future. And guess what? It's always only Jesus. It's always only Jesus. Colossians 1, 15 through 16, another summation statement of the power of God. It says he, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Elohim, who we cannot see, who we cannot comprehend, he is seen in the person of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And even at the beginning of history, as God makes the earth his focal point, Jesus and you are central to all that God would plan to do. On the earth, God would create man in his own image. To the earth, God would cast down Satan. On earth, sin would curse the world. On the earth, humanity would rebel against its creator. On earth, God would preserve a remnant of people who deserve death. On earth, God planned to send his son to incarnate himself on our planet. On earth, the God-man would be killed by the created man. On earth, God's son would defeat death. From the earth, God's son would ascend back to heaven. On earth, God would bring many sons to glory through the grace of the gospel. On earth, God promises to build his church and to the earth, God will send his son again to judge the living and the dead. And on the earth, God will recreate the new heavens and the new earth. And on this planet, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. History had a beginning and it has a very glorious future. But the question that we're left with from the first two verses of the Bible this morning, have you surrendered to the almighty, majestic creator of the ends of the earth? Elohim is the one true God. He is the creator who created all things out of nothing. He is your creator, therefore he deserves your life and he deserves your worship and though he is Elohim, he has chosen to make himself known through his son by his spirit. And the first verses of God's holy word beckon us to repent and believe that he is Lord. I just want you to bow your heads for a moment in the room. And I realize as we start this series and we jump into this year that there's preconceived notions, preconceived beliefs and thoughts that we bring to the table, I want to encourage you to look to nothing but the word of God. I want to encourage you to ask the spirit to give you a new faith, a new understanding in the first pages of his holy word that we might behold him as our God.
And so let me invite you to stand to your feet. Just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And would you just take a moment to think about your life, to think about what God has done? Where are you when it comes to your being accountable to Elohim, the God of glory? Do you trust him? Do you know him personally? The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he raised from the dead, you will be saved. So on the earliest pages of the Bible as we're introduced to God, what, what it wants us to do is put our faith in God alone. So I'd encourage you to repent and believe today. Cry out to God. Let him know that you're a sinner. Let him know that you don't have it all together. Let him know that you need him. Let him know that you need to follow him. And I believe the spirit wants to open your heart to do that. So don't miss that opportunity. The invitation is there. And God is good and God is gracious and God is loving and God is holy. But for all of us who Many of us have walked with the Lord for a long time. Have you lost the wonder of Elohim? Have you lost the wonder of the God who created the heavens and the earth out of nothing? Have you lost the wonder of the God who put breath in your lungs? His bigness and his vastness is so unsearchable. And yet he has made himself known to you. He has filled your life. He has filled your house he hears your prayers and he wants your time. If any being could do away with us, it would be him. And he would be just and he would be right and he would be holy and he would be good. And yet he continues to lavish his love upon us. So Father, we just stand in awe of you We say that you are worthy today. And Lord, as we step into this year, we, we so desire a, a right view of God. We so desire a faith that would be ignited to love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love others as you have loved us. Would you help us to get back to the place where we worship you as the center, where we worship you as the almighty God continue to give us a glimpse of your glory and, and of your history and of your plan and of the future that you will create for all of those who are in Christ Jesus. And would you allow that to spur us on toward righteousness every single day as we love you and as we call you worthy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.